A pastor asked his Bible class, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? And a student replied, because that's where his mama was. Um, we're going to talk about his mama today, so go with me to, uh, to chapter 1. Now, we'll start in verse um, uh, 39 here in a minute, and uh, I'll pick on somebody to come read. Who wants to read this morning? We'll, we'll do that in just a minute, but anybody want to just, Ellie, you could probably back up right there and read 35, 39 through 45, couldn't you? Okay. In just a minute, we'll do that. Now, um, uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, don't we all like being included, um, you know? Uh, was there a list or a kind of a group or an in-group that you were included in or maybe excluded from? We love to be chosen for a team, for an award, for a job. I'll, I'll occasionally have somebody email me and say, hey, thanks for praying for me about that job. I got the job. I was chosen for the job. Um, I remember any time that, uh, that a girl would go out with me, I was glad that I got chosen for a date. You know, I mean, uh, uh, it wasn't all, all that good. You know, you know my, uh, uh, I, by the way, you can check the 1974 Midwest City High School Bomber uh, 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 Annual, and you'll notice that I was the guy who got to crown Miss Midwest City High School. That was kind of a big deal. I don't know how I got chosen for that. Now, talk about left-handed. When it came time to do that, um, um, uh, Georgia, who was the girl who uh, was kind of everybody's favorite, and she ended up being Miss Midwest City High School, she was sick, so I didn't get to kiss her when I crowned her. You know, That, that was kind of a backwards deal. You, know? you remember in, when I was in college, they had a who's who list. Did you have that in college? I was on the who's he list, and so I didn't often get, were you in the who's who list, Wayne? You probably were. Uh, you know, I've been dealing with that for 40-some years, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much, Wayne, with friends like you, you know. Well, Mary was chosen. She's going to deal with today uh, kind of some of the aftermath of having been chosen. Ellie, would you step up to that mic right there? We're going to read from chapter 1, verse 39, down through 45. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her, to her by the Lord. Thanks, Ellie. Now, last week... We talked about Gabriel's message, his announcement to her, to Mary, and uh, what we've recognized over the last couple of weeks is that um, there is the beginning of the gospel message here with this uh, announcement uh, of two unexpected, both of them miraculous pregnancies of Mary and her relative Elizabeth. Now, we'll call her a cousin, although I'm not sure they were cousins, but they were relatives in some way. They knew each other, certainly. 
And so both of these are miraculous, although quite different. But it meant that these two women stand at the very edge, the very threshold of prophetic fulfillment. Neither knew the details, much of them. Neither knew what their sons would later do, although they'd had some prediction of that. Uh, Even so, it's almost certain that at least elderly Elizabeth, who was the wife of a priest, Zechariah, well, she would have been aware of some past miracles from the Old Testament, <clears throat> some old age pregnancies like hers, and that awareness would have undergirded her faith. But the much younger Mary, uh, for her part, may have been unaware that certainly her unprecedented, unprecedented virginal conception was fulfilling the uh, prophecy of, for instance, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son. She probably may not have known that, although later on would kind of discover that and figure that all out. Um, uh, scholars often observe that part of the imagery here in Luke 41 is really similar to what Hannah said to God when she conceived in her old age Uh, The prophet Samuel, the judge, Samuel in 1 Samuel 2. And her prayer was a lot like like Mary's. But her pregnancy was much more like her relative Elizabeth's, who both of them in an elderly age had been miraculously blessed to bear a son. So we're going to talk about what happens if we talked about last week the angel's announcement to Mary We're going to turn the page. We're going to say the next day. It may not have been the next day, but it's going to be really, really soon what happened. And Ellie read about it a little bit ago. Let's get into the story a little bit more. Mary, after the announcement of uh, the angel, is going to leave. Where was she living? Grew up in Nazareth, okay, which is north up uh, by the Sea of Galilee, in the northern part of Israel. She's going to leave pretty soon, it says hastily here, and she's going to travel south to visit her relative Elizabeth. Why? Because the angel has said, one of the ways you're going to know this is going to take place is Elizabeth herself is pregnant in her old age. Remember the angel Gabriel said that to Mary last week? So she's going to go down to kind of, she wants to see about this. Uh, there's some things that she and Elizabeth are going to know that nobody else is going to know. So we could say that when she went uh, south to do uh, to visit, it was a pretty arduous journey. We'll talk about that in a little bit. When she went south to visit her relative Elizabeth, uh, it might have been, well, I heard that my aging relative Elizabeth um, is now pregnant, expecting a son. How far along did Gabriel tell her he what she was? Six months, because the whole story begins in the sixth month. That's talking about Elizabeth's pregnancy. So it could have been that Mary was thinking, you know, I'm, I want to be a good family member. I'm going to go help her with household chores. I'll do the cooking while she's, uh, you know, kind of experiencing all this uh, um, very new stuff, and and she's um, in in an advanced age. Um, by the way, she had sent her husband, Zechariah. She sent him to the grocery store. 
Remember, they're advanced in age, and now, um, now she's got a little baby on the way. She sends Zechariah to the store to buy pampers and depends. <laughs> Work on that in your mind a little bit, okay? Can you imagine? In the same shopping cart. By the way, for those of you who are biblical scholars, that didn't really happen. That was kind of a joke, okay? It was a weak one, but it was kind of a joke. Now, could it be that she wanted to help her? I think more likely she goes to visit with Elizabeth because she was looking for a confirming sign. In fact, Gabriel said, if you're looking for confirmation, your cousin advanced in age, is pregnant herself with the son in the sixth month. So, in some ways, haste was kind of called for. Look back at verse 36. Behold, here's where he says it. Behold, the angel says that. Even your relative Elizabeth, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and she was called, she who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. And so uh, she hastens to go see about this. This is a sign to her. If you look over in 2.12 real quickly, uh, we recognize that this whole story is replete with signs. There's another sign given to the uh, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. In verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. Lots of, lots of confirming signs taking place. That's important. And I, I, I love the fact that God doesn't, is not upset by that in any way. Now, this is going to be, if you look at verse 40, this is just implied there. She's going to leave north um, in Galilee and travel south to what is called, um, only called Judah here or Judea. Um, this will be a pretty, uh, the, the word you can put in here, this is a pretty exhausting journey. Um, she's pregnant. If Elizabeth and Zechariah lived in North Judea, and we don't have any idea what part of Judea they lived in. If they lived in North Judea, it would be a trip of some 35 miles. She's recently become pregnant. And she's going to travel through the hills in the south. Where she is, where she lives, is not a hilly location, but where she's going to will be. It's much more arid, much more hilly. It's a pretty arduous little trip, especially for a pregnant lady walking on foot for 35 miles. She must be pretty motivated to get there. By the way, can I tell you something? She'll go back to Nazareth after the scene that we studied today. She'll make the trip again in about nine months. That's the one we'll study next week. She was alone. She, why, Ellie asked me if she's alone. Why we kind of know she's alone is nobody knows what she's going through. Nobody but her. She goes to visit Elizabeth, and she's there for probably several weeks, maybe as much as two or three months, and then she comes back. And it's interesting that she goes by herself. What I want you to catch here 
is she'll make another trip south in about nine months to go to Bethlehem, which is also in Judea. I just find there's all kinds of irony in this story. Now, what you and I have got to see, we don't see it, we don't see it in print, but we've got to think with our, with our creative minds what happens in, um, in verse 40 that as she arrives, the exchange that takes place, she greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth greets her. Elizabeth doesn't know who's at the door. It's Mary. And they look at each other like only two pregnant women can. You know that deal? I, I don't really understand it. By the way, uh, a couple of you have asked, no baby yet. Uh, Christy posted a picture yesterday, if you're on Facebook with her, great with child. I think it's, she had 40 weeks and three days or something like that. And uh, um, so it's any day, we'll let you know as soon as we know something. But isn't it, it's funny, when I'm with Christy over these last several months, anytime we've been with her, it's like pregnant women are magnetic toward each other. Have you noticed that? Or do you remember that? Um, and, and so I just wonder what the exchange would be. Elizabeth looks, I mean, Mary looks at her elderly cousin Elizabeth and she says, Oh, Elizabeth, you look radiant. I don't, what would she say? I don't know. And Elizabeth begins to chuckle. How did you know? How did you know? Because no one knew but her. No one knew but Mary about her condition. And we'll talk about that for just a minute because Elizabeth's going to kind of figure it out. Now, there were two responses when Mary arrives in verse 41. Okay, First of all, the baby jumps. You can put jumps or leaps there. Okay, So that's not unusual, is it, for a baby to move? You guys have helped us over the last uh, month or six weeks. We've been praying for our little baby to move, and the doctor helped him move, and now he's in the right spot. Thank you for that. But it's not, it's not occasionally uh, you'll be with a, a, a woman in advanced months of pregnancy, and she'll be holding her belly, and, and she'll say, well, he's kicking. It's not unusual for a baby to move, is it, or to kick in the womb? Not uh, Nancy, you said that like you remember it. Okay, yeah. It's not unusual at all. What is unusual about this story, though, is the timing. When Mary arrives at the door, Elizabeth says, he just started jumping. Her baby just started jumping, Elizabeth says. It's significant in, in view of what those two boys would form as a relationship later in their lives. It's very significant in that regard. But I want you to look at another place. We're in chapter 1. Go back to verse 15. Back to verse 15. Okay? See what you read there. This is a testimony about John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink no wine or liquor. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's intriguing as all get out to me. It's the idea that as part of this exchange, this baby um, 
was filled with the Holy Spirit very early. This boy, John, that we call John the Baptist. He's filled with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill or to be prepared to fulfill his role that Isaiah 40 talks about, about being the herald of the king. And so, he leaps. Now, there's another confirmation here. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps when she uh, reconnects with Mary. And then Elizabeth herself is filled. That's the word that goes there. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and she's filled in such a way that she begins to kind of, she pronounces a blessing. She begins to prophesy some of those kinds of things here. And so, as, as, um, so the baby leaps and Elizabeth is filled. Now, and she begins uh, uh, kind of um, a blessing or prophesying over Mary, beginning with a word blessed here. Uh, let me read verse 42 to you again. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So the idea here is, the word blessed here in this context, it's translated blessed here, means to praise. To praise, to laud. Uh, it is the word, interestingly, it is the word from which we get the word eulogy. She eulogizes Mary in some ways. To speak well of her, that's what eulogy means. Now filled, Elizabeth begins to bless Mary and to pronounce some things over her. By the way, there's power in that kind of a blessing. And she, and then in four, verse 43, confirms what only Mary and the angel have discussed. Now remember, Mary arrives at the door of Elizabeth's house and she knows what Elizabeth's going through. Elizabeth says, how do you know? As she begins to speak here in verse 40 and 41 and 42, what, she's, what they're going to recognize is that Elizabeth gets, has revealed to her something that only God could have told her because only God and Mary know. He's going to confirm that. There's that wonderful confirmation. She uses the word kurios here in uh, verse 43 to describe um, who is uh, growing within Mary. She says this. Look at it again for verse 43. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord, if your Bible's like mine, that's capitalized, kurios, it's a word only, only designed to be used for God. How, would it, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now, Mary is not visibly pregnant. I asked my wife yesterday, uh, when you become visibly pregnant, she says the third or fourth month. This is early on. This is in the first few days. Okay? Um, how did Elizabeth then know? God revealed that to her even in this moment. And Mary is astonished. Now, by the way, I bet she filed this one away in the context of 219. If, you're, if you've been intrigued by 219 like I have, look at 219. All kinds of things are going to happen to her over the next nine months and then over the next 33 years. Okay? Sally, would you just read loudly where you are? 
Luke 2, 19. If she had a journal, she wrote about this exchange with Elizabeth in it. But I guarantee if she didn't have a journal, she remembered it. In fact, the, the reason that it's in Luke 1 uh, to be recorded by Dr. Luke is Mary told it. She's the only one that would know it. Mary later told it to the disciples when they were recording the gospel. She said, you know what? The baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth says to me, you're carrying my Lord. How does she know that if God hadn't revealed that to her? So there's all this wonderful revelation and confirmation going on here. Now, in verse 44, Elizabeth says, my baby leaped. Remember, she's already said that. But she adds a word to it in verse 44. What's the word? Joy. She just said before, he jumped, he leaped. Here she says, when I met you today, when I saw you, she says, the baby leaped in her womb. And Okay, we saw that in verse 41. And here she says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, when she heard her coming, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Baby John has joy in the anticipation of the arrival of the Christ child. This is a real stretch, but go with me here. This is the first kid who couldn't wait for Christmas. Think about it. Kids are always in joyous anticipation of Christmas, aren't they? Here's the first one. From six-month gestation, he's excited about Christmas. His joy is a joy of anticipation. I can't wait. Do you have that kind of expectation? At his return? I want to make just a comment here, and this is not in any way designed to take anything off of your Christmas celebration, okay? Are you aware that Jesus never told you to remember his birth? He told you to remember his death until he comes. We celebrated Holy Communion last week, and the context of that was Jesus saying, and then Paul reiterating, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of my death until I come. You see, we live in an anticipatory time like John did, like Elizabeth did, like Mary did. Do you live every day with the expectation of his return? I think I probably should. That's really, really vital here. So John is living in this anticipation time of the first Christmas. And then Mary is considered here, look at verse 45 again. 
Blessed is she, Elizabeth is still speaking, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The word blessed there is the same word that's used in the Beatitudes, you know, where it says blessed are the poor in spirit, and then blessed are the meek, those kinds of things. It's that same word. The word here means satisfied. I read this kind of definition. The word, the one whom God has made fully satisfied, not because of a favorable circumstance, but because God is within them. Satisfied. She's considered satisfied, blessed here. Okay, let, let's go on. Can somebody, let's see, who can I get? John, can you get up and down real quick? John Kimbrough, can I get you to read 46 down through 49? Step up here so we can hear you. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Thank you, John. Don't you wonder that until this time, don't you wonder whether Mary was thinking on this 35-mile trip, for instance. Let's say she got up and left the next day to go see Elizabeth. Don't you think she's wondering here? What really happened to me last night? Um, was that a hallucination? Was that just a dream? So Mary goes and hears Elizabeth's words and ex has that experience. And she begins to sing here in verse 46, viewing God's blessing as a confirmation of what God had promised he was gonna do. The angel said, you want confirmation? Go see Elizabeth. She did, and she got that confirmation. You know what I'm very happy about? In my life of faith, Rhonda and I were talking about this this morning, ours is not a blind faith. There are all kinds of confirmations to what God wants you to believe. And this is another one here. I am in great gratitude that our God, your God, is a confirming God. All through the years, as he has called me to make some step of faith, he sent a confirmation somewhere along the way. He's not at all upset here that Mary wants confirmation. In fact, the angel kind of sets all this up. Go see Elizabeth. Then you'll have your confirmation, and she did. This is a confirmation of God's promise to her. So in 48, <clears throat> as she begins to sing this song, anybody know, uh, by the way, people all over the New Testament started singing new songs. This is a new song. This is a new song that begins in verse 46. Anybody know what it's called in literature? It's called the Magnificat. It's called the Magnificat. That is not a Bible word. It is a, it actually is somewhat of a Bible word. It's a Latin word. In later centuries, when they would translate the Bible into Latin, um, and it would be used in, in churches in Latin, the very first word of Mary's song was the word Magnificat. And so it's just the Beatitudes, 
same story. Beatitude was the very first word in, uh, in the section from Matthew 5 where Jesus is teaching. So we kind of get that. Zechariah sings a song at the end of, uh, um, in, in some of these verses at the end of, of, of Luke 1. And, uh, and Zechariah's song is um, named in literature. Uh, his is called the Benedictus, and it begins with that word Benedictus in Latin. Uh, when you read the Latin Vulgate. So uh, it's kind of, it, it's not, not a great mystery why it's named that, but she begins to sing, and as she sings here, when she, by the time you and I get to verse 48, she's talking about her humble place. The idea of humility is vital to our understanding of Luke's gospel. She talks about her humble state. Mary is not chosen for her role because she's special, but because her baby is special. We better not lose that distinction. Mary is chosen for her role, not because she is special, but because God is special and her baby is special. Her humbleness here is critical and she gets it. She says, Lord, you acknowledged me. You chose me for my humble state. She's basically saying, who am I that you should choose me? Anybody ever feel that way? Who am I that you should choose me? It's that humility that kind of turns the whole gospel. Even when we meet Jesus, who will say about himself in Matthew 11, I am meek and humble. I am gentle and humble. He will use those words about himself. By the way, if anybody else tells you they're humble, run. If he does, you can take it to the bank. Now, so, this idea of humility is there. Now, look at the last part of 48. She says something here as she sings. What does she say in the last phrase of 48? I am blessed. And she says, all generations will call me blessed or remember me. Is that true? We're talking about now, aren't we? A couple thousand years later, plus. Uh, you ever read about somebody having 15 minutes of fame? Her 15 minutes of fame has lasted 2,000 years. She kind of recognizes it. The Lord kind of speaks that and says, you know what? Because of what is going on around me and inside me, people are going to keep talking about this. We're still talking about it today. Notice here in verse 49, again, that the focus is on God. Not on Mary. God does this. God's name is holy. He included me, not the other way around. And the idea in verse 50 is that God is always merciful. Let's read it again. It's really good. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. If I'm not mistaken, that's a direct quote of Psalm 103.11. I put that reference. Well, I didn't put that reference here. Psalm 103.11. It's the idea that God is merciful to those who fear him. The point, I want you to catch this. The point is that not that God is never merciful to those who don't fear him. In fact, we hear those stories. Maybe you are that story, that God was merciful to you despite the fact that you didn't call upon him. But the truth is, the point is, in, in her song here, that God is always merciful to those who do fear him. That's the point. In 
uh, verse 51, she talks about the arm of God. Look at, the, look at verse 51. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who are humble. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, verse 51. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. I, I put a reference to Jeremiah 21.5. You can put another one there, Jeremiah 32.17, that talks about God does things with his outstretched arm. It's really a reference to the might of God, the mightiness of him, his power, his strength. His arm is mighty. Now, look at verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. We're going to talk next week in chapter 2 about what happened when she got back home. Her song describes a reversal of position. Do you get that? Look at with me in closing today at Luke 14. Same book. 30 years later, plus, in Luke 14, Mary in this song has described the rich will be begging and the beggars will be rich. Going to talk about those who are powerful will be humbled and those who are humbled will be powerful. Listen to what Jesus says. I'm going to go to Luke 14 and I'm going to begin to read from verse 7. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you will proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Here's the verse. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who's teaching this? Mary's little boy, 30 years later. You think she taught him this? That the humble will be exalted. She's singing about it when she only knows there is a holy zygote within me. The humble will be exalted. If I read Luke 2.52 correctly, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. If I read that correctly, it means Jesus learned I wonder if part of his philosophy, which was godly philosophy and true, everything he said was always true, but I wonder if he learned it. This idea of the reversal of the tables from his mama. That's tender to me. 
the humble servant of God says, you know what? The Lord God is going to reverse the tables. And I put two references to stories that Jesus tells where he indicates the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humble. Mary has her place in your gospel, in my gospel. My question is, what is your place in the gospel? What's your place in the gospel? There is one. Could it be as much as being an evangelist? Let me talk about that for just a second and we'll go. The word evangel here means um, uh, one who brings good news. There aren't just four evangelists in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Although sometimes those are called the evangelists because they share the gospel, the good news. What I'm going to tell you is this. Everyone in this room is charged, everyone in this room is called not to be an evangelist in terms like Billy Graham or Marty Grubbs. But everyone in this room is called to tell the good news. Accept it. Embrace it. And may this be the best Christmas yet.